Welcome to After the JAG Corps, Navigating Your Career Progression, a podcast for judge advocates leaving military service. After the JAG Corps assists officers transitioning from the military law practice by learning from individuals who have successfully embarked on new careers, providing insight on rewarding professional opportunities, job search strategies, resumes, the value of your military experience, and more. Now, here is your host, Tom Welsh. Today on the podcast, we are talking to a yet another former Navy JAG, Kevin O'Neill. Kevin retired, and he will tell you probably he was medically retired in May of 2015, and he is now serving as an administrative law judge for the state of California. So, Kevin, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Tom. Appreciate it. So, Kevin, we talked about the elephant in the room. Uh, You went through a medical retirement, but you were one of our earliest military judge experts, weren't you? I was. I received the designation of military justice uh, expert. And my goal has always been to be a judge. And yeah, I served eight years as a judge. And after retirement, you didn't go back to work right away, but you ended up on the bench again. So tell us about that journey. And again, take us where you want this conversation to go, but tell us about that journey. Sure. Well, uh, without getting into specifics, I was medically retired. And at the time of retirement, was still pending additional treatments regarding Uh, cancer that uh, I had that was causing the issue. So there was really no plan at all to seek civilian employment. And that remained for a couple of years. And as I got beyond the transplants, as I got beyond my condition and the treatments and started to gain strength back, I didn't really have the physical strength I used to have, but the mind was anxious and it was bored. So I began to consider what type of jobs that I thought I'd be able to handle. And I settled on administrative law jobs uh, within the state of California. So I started applying, set up a Cal Career account, took their experiential exams, got some advice from former JAGs that had worked for the state and either done an ALJ job or attorney general jobs because they had this exam and I wasn't sure what the exam was. It was essentially an experiential test of what experience you had and started applying. And actually, the first one that hit was with the Department of Social Services in their state hearings division. And I was offered a job and started in January of 2018. How long did that journey last as far as from the time you took the exam until you were able to start working? It was quick. Uh, I think I took the, because the ALJ exams were a little bit different depending on which department you were applying to in California. And I want to say I took three of them. I'd have to look it up. But I think I took them in the late summer of 2018. Uh, And then when the first job that I applied to was the state hearings job, I think I applied for that in late September, October, and then I received an interview in early November. And then the offer came and the start date was just pushed out based on their budgeting and some personnel things that I had to take care of. As I shared with you, you know, working for the state is something that I know there's a niche, there's, there's the possibility, but we don't know of too many people, or at least I don't, maybe I shouldn't speak for others, who have done that. So you know, we know there's a lot of people that go to work for the federal government, but 
what kind of hearings are you doing at the Department of Social Services? We're doing essentially public benefits hearings. And in, I'm in what's called the general jurisdiction section. And we do any of the welfare, cash aid, temporary assistance to needy families, uh, federal program cases, food stamp cases, Medi-Cal cases, which is California's Medicaid. And we used to do an in-home medical service. It was called in-home supportive services. They became so voluminous that we set up a separate unit within state hearings division for those. But it's mostly claimants, we call them. They're not represented. They might have a legal aid attorney. They might have someone with them who's a little more versed in the programs. We call that by a procedural reg, an authorized representative. For the most part, it's a representative from a county who is responsible for administering the benefits and just some claimant that's either confused or upset or just wants an explanation of why something happened that was adverse to them. What was the ramp up to be able to make these decisions? I mean, as far as the statutes and regulations pertaining to these benefits. So that was the hard part uh, because when they hired me, I, I didn't know anything about their programs and they have fancy names in California. The temporary assistance to needy families is called CalWorks. The food stamps is CalFresh. So they had these fancy names, but I didn't know anything at all. And you know, I admitted that during my interviews and that was a problem on the experiential test. Mike Richardson, a retired Marine Colonel, military judge gave me some good advice when I was seeking his guidance to whether or not he thought I could do this. When they actually offered me the job, it was very sobering. And I said, okay, this is real. I'm, I'm gonna have to go back to work. And he said, look, the learning curve is steep in the first few months, but hey, Kev, you've done worse. You can handle it. And that sort of gave me a little confidence. So I went in and yeah, you study for the first two, three months. Fortunately, the state hearings division had a pretty good electronic system of law snippets. And the law sort of comes down from statutes to California loves policy letters. And they sort of work backwards as far as how they apply them. So it was just having to do a lot of studying and refining your research skills so you could find keywords in their system. And from there, it just sort of just built. After a while, you gain the knowledge, you start building pieces of written decisions, all our decisions are written. And uh, I found that I was smarter than I thought I was going to be post-medical issues. You know, that makes total sense. And, it, and you know, I, I was, as you were talking about that, I was thinking about the confidence factor that hits or that impacts all departing, retiring judge advocates. And then when, you know, the, on top of that, you had the, the confidence issues with coming back from your medical situation and having the, the STEM and all that do on top of learning an entirely different new area of law. What is the workload, the caseload like as an administrative law judge for the state of California? It started off pretty good when I was hired. It, it got a little bad in 2020. Things were tough. But we write it's anywhere between 20 and 25 decisions a month. Some of it is form, but I, I'd say really probably half, less than half. The law sections are a little bit canned. We have, again, a good search tool where we're able to pull snippets out with us adjusting depending on the issue. But we're required to set forth facts. We're responsible for writing them out. We don't have any writers ahead of time. And we are responsible for producing our own decisions. We do have a system 
where people QA them and release them. We have an electronic system, uh, web-based, that allows the counties and claimants to see documents and allows us to see them, essentially from anywhere, that we have a secure web connection. But it's about 20, 25 decisions a month. Sometimes it's a little less. A few other administrative duties uh, worked in. For instance, we have duty judge weeks where you're almost like a calendar judge, as you might be in a superior court situation where you're just handling stuff that's coming in for scheduling or a status change in cases, and you might do that for a week or so. But it's not bad. Uh, and right now, most of our hearings are telephone. Uh, most of the hearings statewide when I was hired were telephone. The San Diego region had a higher percentage of in-person and all that changed after COVID. And so I, you know, it's, it's not a bad life. It's about six hearing days a week, uh, pardon me, a month. Sometimes they add an additional one. And for the most part, I don't leave the house. Very rarely now are we required to travel. And our travel is limited to the counties, either San Diego County or adjacent County. Was that a COVID-driven uh, decision? The state was actually moving toward trying to make phone the default hearing, as many of the other departments in the state were doing. Uh, unemployment was doing that. I think general administration was doing that. And COVID pushed that further, so that's now the default. People can still request what we call an in-person hearing, and we'll show up, and everybody is across from each other at a table. But those are rare, probably about 5% of our hearings now. We also have video capability. So I, we use WebEx. That's what our uh, department IT people said we had to use. Wouldn't let us use Zoom, but we, I just did one yesterday. Did a video hearing yesterday. So. When you were talking about writing your own opinions, to me, that sounded a lot like being, I don't know, a military judge. It's actually better because I don't have to completely proof them and release them. So it's actually a little <laughs> bit better. And interesting you asked that. During my interview, the then presiding judge, stopped me and had me repeat that portion of my answer when I said that we were responsible as military judges for drafting, proofing, completing, and disseminating our rulings. And he was shocked by that. So maybe that gave me a leg up. I don't know. Obviously, a lot of this is health-driven, but how long do you foresee yourself staying on the bench until you have until they pry that manual and gavel from your from your hands or no, I, I'm 56 now, and I think 60 would, would be the end. Reality of life, I've had a heart transplant, so my life expectancy is a little bit more limited than other people. Who knows what the technology will be, because the technology when I was transplanted was so much better than it had been 20 years ago. So that's sort of my target. California lets you draw a retirement, a pension after five years, it's not a lot, but it makes you eligible for one and one that my wife can continue to receive after my death. That will come up sometime next year. But my target is about 60. I think for me, that might be enough. We'll see. I mean, I, I got into this because the mind was bored, needed to do something. It's a little busier right now, volume-wise than I had hoped. But that's the long-term plan right now. I, I don't think they're going to have to pry it out. If you had me still on the military bench, you would have had to pry that out. Obviously, medical uh, forced me to give that up. But that certainly was the greatest job I ever had and ever will have. Yeah, and as I said, I, I, I thought, you know, your retirement, 
it, it really, in my opinion, it put a hole in our community and a hole in the in the judiciary because Kevin O'Neill, military justice. I mean, it was just it just they went together. I mean, you could even I think you could even sat, substituted the name Kevin O'Neill for military justice, and everybody would understand what you're referring to. But um, that's very gracious. Thank you. I mean that. I mean, you know, we didn't, you and I never served together. We never, we served in the same area and uh, we were about the same year groups, I think. But, you know, you were just one of those guys that you, you knew that he had an expertise. And, and, you know, as I talk to people on this, uh, this podcast about parlaying their skills and everything of going to corporate or going to private or going to something else, I mean, you were you were somebody that was able to really directly benefit from what you did on active duty, both as a defense counsel, trial counsel. I don't know if that went far back if you were a prosecutor, but as a judge and to be comfortable on the bench and to understand that you have to combine facts and law and issue it. But again, you had to learn a whole new area of the law and break into that specialty. Very kind of you, Tom. I always enjoyed being a neutral. I was never really comfortable in the council role. Yes, I did serve as a prosecutor for two years, but, but I, I always felt, and maybe it was my math undergrad background, I liked getting to the answer if there was an answer that could be gotten to fairly and lawfully. So I always liked being a neutral. And to your point, probably about 15 months after I was hired, by CDSS, the presiding judge, the one who was on the panel that hired me, came to me and wanted to know if I had any colleagues who were retiring that might be interested. And his point was, for years, they had looked at people that were knowledgeable in the programs, but they had undervalued experience as a neutral. And he wanted to know if I had any judge colleagues that would be interested. And as things progressed, and as I've been with the department and St. Harry's Division, more and more their recruiting is focused on people with experience as a neutral, as a judge or some other type of neutral, as opposed to people with experience or knowledge in the programs. Because as our last uh, chief administrative law judge said, she's now off to be a superior court judge in Orange County. We can teach you the programs. We can't teach you necessarily how to be a judge. That's the harder part. So I, I benefited greatly from having all that time on the bench and having to make those decisions that made me a lot more comfortable when the stakes, frankly, were lower, much lower here. You know, we're dealing with money and things we can fix. Uh, we couldn't always do that, obviously, with felony cases in the Navy. On that note, if this resonates with somebody who's listening, <clears throat> where do they start the process? And we'll start with California. Where do they start the process of trying to find out and apply to become an administrative law judge? Well, in California, I know you set up a Cal Career account, and then you use that account to search for your keywords. So, administrative law judge. That's what I did. And, and so those jobs would pop up. The postings should, uh, they've changed the system a little bit, but they should direct you to whatever exam you need to take, the experiential exam. And it should also give you guidance on veterans' preference, which I did receive. And I joked with the presiding judge that hired me, I don't think you would have picked me. Uh, on the interview list, there were eight of us interviewing for one spot. I don't think you'd have put me on there if it weren't for the veterans list because I didn't score well enough on your exam because I didn't know any of the programs. And he admitted that, and they've since redone the exam. But that's how you do it. Cal Careers account, do a keyword search 
find all the jobs you're interested in. I, I think I did it for that and some attorney general jobs. Is ALJ, is the Department of Social Services the only department in California that has administrative law judges or anything else that has them? No, I know unemployment does, which is the Employment Development Division in California. There is a general administration as well, which are considered sort of higher level ALJs. I want to say there's another department. Is there one for workers' comp? Workers' comp may, parole may have them as well. That makes sense. Um, The largest ones by volume, I believe, are unemployment and CDSS. And I assume that there are no shortage of cases in the Department of Social Services for you guys to hear. No, no. In fact, that comes up a lot structurally. And I try to keep my mouth shut so I don't get pulled into leadership because every time I open my mouth, somebody goes, hey, are you interested? And I, I try to keep limited. But screening, we don't have a good screening process for cases. Essentially, anybody that calls or goes on the website can create a hearing and that becomes a case moving through the docket. But yes, no shortage, not at all. <laughs> Having gone through a military practice and now doing something else, what do you think are the biggest stumbling blocks for old guys like me, and maybe not so old guys like me, old gals? Gals don't get old. Experienced ladies. What do you think some of the biggest obstacles for them in beginning the afterlife? Is it most up here? Is it mostly confidence, anxiety, or do you think it's on the other side of people not understanding the military practice? No, I, I think most of it is confidence and being anxious about something new. Two things sort of related. You have to get used to a different way of thinking. CDSS was a different environment with, with very different people coming, not from military backgrounds, but from legal aid backgrounds. So you, you need to get used to being in that type of environment with very different and good and interesting perspectives. But also don't prejudge. So when I went in, I I was surprised that they hired a military person. They did not have a lot of males in the office. So when I went in, I kind of thought to myself, I bet they all are just resenting me a little bit. They're going to assume I'm some conservative military person that's going to try to change the way the office thinks collectively as a judge. Everything but that. It just, they were they were fascinated by it, could have cared less what my viewpoints were, were very accommodating and helpful. There was always somebody to talk to. I, you know, if you said, I just don't understand what the heck this state rule is about uh, food stamps, can you help me out? There were three people, four people willing to sit down and talk to you. So uh, those two are sort of in hand. Don't prejudge them, but do be prepared for a little bit different way of thinking. Well, I will say, across state hearings, the mission goal is not shared by everybody that necessarily works in state government. That includes a lot of the judges. Recently, state hearings went through a transformation process to attempt to cure that. But that is something that you have to get used to. We're a regional office. We used to cover just San Diego, Imperial, Riverside, and San Bernardino counties, adjacent counties. But now we we do all statewide as part of that transformation. But I didn't experience any of that in in this office. It was actually, everyone was pulling their weight, pulling more weight than maybe some of the other offices. So that's the best I have. But the most, the thing that I worried about most is what you talked about. I didn't have a clue. 
And how was I going to stand up to these people who maybe had worked legal aid or, or in some other organization and dealt with welfare benefits in California for 15 years? How was I going to stand up? You know, Kevin, as you were saying that, not having a clue, I can, I can go back to, you know, my first carrier as being a, an assistant command judge advocate. You know, I came out of 11 months of legal assistance and six months of prosecutor work. And I went to the enterprise and I'm getting questions from department heads. And I can literally remember repeating the question aloud as they asked it on the phone and have my Ellen too, who's now a mayor in New York of uh, Little Falls, New York, Mark Blask, feed me the answer so that I could sound knowledgeable. And when you go back through your military career, how many jobs did you have that? I mean, look at yourself, you know, a couple SJA jobs, the expertise on status of force agreement or something was not there. And yet you fade it, you faked it until you make it. And, and then you get out here and all of a sudden you're thinking, well, gee, I, I don't have this experience. I can't make that transition. And we've, we've done it an entire career. True. Yeah. I know I was looking at my shadow boxes off to my right. So I was, oh, how many, how many uh, commands have I had? Yeah. I, I, I think the first ship tour I had was the Holland. It was in Japan, stationed out of Guam. And my less than a week there, there's a car accident. And four guys from the ship leave two Japanese nationals for dead. Fortunately, they weren't. They were just injured. And I'm on the phone with Stu Belt, who I think still on active duty, right? No, Stu's retired, and he's uh, a Navy Office of General Counsel. I interviewed Stu and published a podcast with him. He's been military sealift command in, in Bahrain. He was in Japan, and he's and he's now in California. So he's in he's in your area, in fact. Well, I got his home number somehow, and it was either a Friday or Saturday night. And he doesn't know I'm a jag because I'm trying to do exactly what you're talking about. I'm trying to get some information so I can tell my boss what the heck we're supposed to be doing with this car accident and learn the sofa. And fortunately he figured out that I was a Jag and he started giving me some more detailed information, but yeah, I, you're right. We have done that quite a bit and adapted. And I'd also probably say, trust your instincts, whatever your instincts are, particularly if you're, if you're going into work as a neutral, I trust your instincts. Well, Kevin, I don't have anything else. I really wanted to get this out about the state practice. Is there any parting thoughts in your crawl right now that you want to you want to provide? I don't think so. No, I appreciate you having me on and opportunity to share. I'm pretty blessed despite things that happened medically to me. I was able to land a pretty good job and contribute and still feel like I have some worth. The brain still works. And I appreciate you having me on to share that experience with others. Well, Kevin, it has been truly an honor to talk to you, it, especially after all these years to say thank you and fair winds and following seas. I will tell you that um, I've enjoyed most of my years on uh, active duty. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of anxious to start that next chapter. And I will tell you staying on to the 30 year mark is a lot like living to a ripe old age because most of your contemporaries are gone. And you are one of my contemporaries. And it is so good to see you. I'm glad to see that you're back to work and I wish you nothing but continued good health and prosperity, my friend. Thank you, Tom. Ladies and gentlemen, one of my, what I consider one of the legends of the JAG Corps, Kevin O'Neill. Thank you for listening. If you like this podcast, be sure to subscribe and tell your friends. After the JAG Corps is a TJW 50 Associates LLC production. 